Happy Mother's Day. Enjoy it. Tomorrow it's over. They forget about us tomorrow. We need to rest too, right? <laughs> Forgive me. I'm just a little out of sorts, but we're going to get this done. Amen. So, what are you guys going to do after, t after service is over? Eat. I heard someone say eat. <laughs> First of all, I just want to tell you that I am not a naturally bold person, and that may be surprising for some of you. Um, I just push myself out. I just know when God wants to use something in me, and I step to it when the opportunity is available. Um, we're just vessels, amen? So I'm going to tell you a little bit about us, my family. Pastor explained um, some things, but I'm going to give you a little bit of history. In June, and I need my specs. Is that okay? In June of 1987 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Cajun food that's heard from. <laughs> it's Pam. Hi, Pam. Uh, Baton Rouge, at the ripe age of 23 years old, I met this amazing man who was and is sold out for God. The deal was sealed for me on our very first date when uh, he said to me, God comes first in my life. And I was like, yes. Who doesn't want that? A man after God's own heart. At the end of the date, he ministered to a young man, just walked up to him cold turkey, started ministering to him about Jesus. The young man accepted Christ. So our consecutive dates thereafter was going to this young man's home, having Bible studies with him, taking him to church to make sure he was grafted in. So we don't just go get him. We disciple them. Amen. That's been my life with him. <laughs> Roughly a year after marrying, we were pastoring our first inner city church, a startup, knocking on doors, telling people about Christ, and out of that, a church came. This shy young lady, I didn't say much. Um, he did all the talking. <laughs> but I was there as a support, amen? Sometimes later, uh, we hosted a radio broadcast called No Compromise. Has anybody heard of Keith Green? Love him. That was one of the, after one of the songs that he made, No Compromise. God led us to Texas so that hubby could attend seminary in 93. And while here, and 10 whole excruciating years into our marriage, and I say excruciating because I wanted a baby the first day. I'm like, I'm ready. I'm just motherly. I need a child. <laughs> a son was born to us, Josiah David Sparrow. He is now going into his senior year of college in Pensacola, Florida. We started another inner city work on the east side of Fort Worth, and shortly thereafter, our little princess was born, Micah Destiny Sparrow. She's beautiful, intelligent, and while I am holding an AARP card, and I am grateful, because that means <laughs> that I've lived long enough. I have wisdom, right? I have an AARP card raising a teenager. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> After graduating seminary, again, because our whole lives have been him being in school, uh, and publishing the work of his dissertation, God made it clear that we were to transition our pastoral ministry to an apologetics ministry. That had happened in September of 2018. Apologetics, for those of us who that word is weird to, just means defending religious doctrines, defense of the faith. 
And if there was ever a time we needed to be defending God's word, it's now. It's being changed online. It's being changed in so many places to say what it does not say. So to prepare the people of God, um, we're in apologetics. Upon heading out for this new venture, we understand and know the importance of fellowship. So we are praying and believing God and trying to figure out where are we going to go plant ourselves so that we can have covering. Um, we pass this church and go to Granbury. I have friends that go to a church there in Granbury. I knew their lives from witnessing how they live and knew that they were under something wonderful. So we went to visit. We liked it. But we saw this church on the way going, and I thought, it sits off the back of the road. I don't know. <laughs> but I want to visit. <laughs> So the second week, we came here, and I will tell you that I knew that I was home. The warmth, the love, the church was big enough. It was small enough. The pastoral word was amazing. The community, the fellowship, as all that we were used to. And the ironic, did I say that right? Ironic blessing. We did that in every one of our services, and I've never seen it anywhere else. So... I'm home, we're home. Thank you for welcoming us here. <laughs> this morning, um, I wanna talk to us about the intentional homemaker. Intentional is the key word. Homemaker, we know what that is, right? Intentional means to be done on purpose. We do it on purpose. We do it meaning to do it. Homemaker, what's the first thing we think about when we think of homemaker? Cooking and cleaning and budget. But it is so much more than that. Homemaker is a home builder, a character builder, a destiny maker, right? So um, I want to take you back in time. 1960s, Good Housekeeping Magazine. Anybody remember that? Anybody old enough? <laughs> right? The perfect woman. She's all beautiful and dressed well every day with her apron on and everything. High heels. She's wonderful. I can't be her. <laughs> but it gave us something to look forward to, right? Her house is clean. I need help. <laughs> but my favorite is the 1950s show, Leave it to Beaver. Anybody? I love that show. Watch all the episodes that I could watch. June Cleaver, mother, homemaker. She also was perfectly dressed, clean house, great cook. Yet, what I noticed about her is that she was always teaching and instilling good values and excellent character in her sons. She didn't do this stuff by accident. She was intentional in what she did, understanding that her gifts and influence would have a profound effect on the success and outcome of her family. We too should be intentional, right? We should do it all on purpose so that we can see the greater impact in our homes. Let's look at three things this morning that an intentional homemaker should consider and the benefits of doing these. And you know, we know that homemaking is all of it. It's loving our husbands, it's all of it. But this morning I wanna focus more on the smaller children, the children because our culture has shifted so, and we need to be intentional to understand that we have to raise them up in a way that Satan can't get them later, amen? 
So first I want to talk about the culture shift. We should be intentional because there is such a culture shift. It's a very dangerous one, and it is anti-God. This shift has been on a slow crawl for some years now, but the last 10 years we've seen an intensifying effect, right? The culture has shifted downward, to me anyway. It just, we feel like we're in the twilight zone sometimes. You look around and your, your world looks so different now because of the culture shift. I'm trying to see you and see my notes too. <laughs> we are living in a time where people are against God. This just our, they're openly and unashamedly against God, against good values, and against most things that are morally right. Right is wrong, and wrong is right. Everything is totally backwards. This is the mindset of culture where our kids live today. They go to school where this mindset exists and where they participate, where they participate in youth activities. Every facet of their lives is being bombarded with this anti-God thinking. Please turn with me to 2 Timothy 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. I'm coming out of the NIV. This is my daughter's Bible. So. <laughs> You're going to work with hers. 2 Timothy, verse 3. I believe that this surmises the times we are living, and it really takes a picture. Let me just tell you about this. Paul wrote this letter to his protege, Timothy. It was his last letter. He wrote it from a cold dungeon in Rome and in chains, imprisoned by Emperor Nero. This, book, this letter was written shortly before his execution. Let's read. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of God, of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, having, have nothing to do, figure that, have nothing to do with such people. We should be intentional in training them. Solomon, a man of great wisdom, encourages us to start early on. You know, the Proverbs was written before, Samuel, before uh, Solomon fell into materialism and idolatry. Um, and then when Solomon was being um, put up as king, he brought all the people together. They made their sacrifices um, before God. And God asked Solomon, he said, he asked, he said, Solomon, ask what you will of me. I'll give it to you. Solomon, understanding the mantle that was so heavy upon him to lead such a great people, Israel, full of promises, he understood what it meant to lead this people. He asked for wisdom. That is all he asked for. I need wisdom to lead this great people. We need wisdom to lead our little great people. Amen whether you have two or 10, <laughs> we need wisdom. So we can trust the wisdom of Solomon in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 22 verse six says, and this is the words of Solomon, start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. What a word from a man of wisdom. We should be intentional 
because our children and grandchildren are the next generation. That is scary. We look at what's happening right now, and these are our doctors and lawyers and you know politicians and everything. We it we yeah we have some work to do, but it's okay. We'll get there. <laughs> when I think about other translations that talk about the Proverbs 22 verse six, he says, "Show them how to go." I like the word train in other translations. When I think of training, what is training? It's rigorous. It's daily. I think of military training, police, firemen. Any job, you have to have good training to do that job. The question is, for our children, what should we be training them to do? Turn with me to Matthew 22, and then I'll let your fingers rest. We should be training them to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, souls, and minds, with all of their hearts, souls, and minds. And if we have not taught them that, then we haven't taught them what's most important. Very important lesson. Matthew 22, they're talking about the greatest commandment here. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So first we should be teaching them to love the Lord. That's the most important thing. Not if they're a doctor or a lawyer. None of that matters if they don't have God on the inside of them. Amen. Secondly, we should be teaching them to be productive citizens that reflect the character and love of God to a dying world, a hurting world. We, they need to see Jesus, and the way they see Jesus is not just because we're talking it. They see it in and through our lives. Um, so that's what we should be teaching them, and to affect the culture and not follow it. I want to introduce to you two fascinating women, God-fearing women, who knew that being a mother is a joyous job. It is but it is not an easy one. So we're, we're going to see what they did. But if, if, it's a, if it's been an easy job for you, I need some tips because I'm still raising a teenager. So help? <laughs> Anybody? You have an insert. Um, we're going to talk about Susanna Wesley. We're going to look at their lives and see what we can glean from them. We learn from the Bible, but we also learn from each other, don't we? Susanna Wesley, I'm going to tell you a little bit about her, and then we will go over the insert together. She is the mother of John and Charles Wesley. John Wesley was an English cleric, a theologian, an evangelist who led a revival movement within the Church of England, today known as Methodism. Charles Wesley was an English leader of the Methodist movement. He wrote about 6,500 hymns, has anyone ever heard of Hark the Herald Angels Sing? For decades, we've heard that song. This is their mother, Susanna Wesley. She had 19 children, nine of which passed away from various issues. So she raised 10 children, which is still a lot of children, including John and Charles Wesley. 
through much of, I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong one. Let me, let me tell you about her first. <laughs> she was married at 19, the wife of Samuel Wesley, an Anglican minister. They were married 44 years, and through those 44 years suffered illness, disease, poverty, and the death of nine of their children. Fire twice destroyed their home. The frequent absence of her husband on church business left the management of the household in her hands, so she rested firmly on trusting God. The children were raised strictly. This is so funny. I remember some of this from our grandparents. They were taught to cry softly, to eat what was put before them. Can you imagine that right now? Mm. <laughs> and not to raise their voices to play uh, or play noisily. The children learned to read from the age of five, all of them except one. And this is what one of her, uh, John said to her, which is a total compliment any mother should desire. It is said that at the age of six or seven, John thought he would never marry because I could never find such a woman as my father had. <laughs> what a compliment. Her sons went on to win tens of thousands of souls to Christ. So let's read her little insert together. This is her 16 house rules, how she led her home. We can take some, leave some, but it's worth looking at. Susanna Wesley was the mother of 19 children, including John and Charles Wesley. Through much adversity, she, de she dedicated her life to instilling a sense of Christian destiny into each of her children. Her children went on to change the world. Here are 16 rules she laid down in her home. Pastor and I, you, he was pointing and saying which ones he liked, and I'm like, I don't agree with everything, <laughs> Pastor. <laughs> so this is, this is my first point. This is what I was meaning. Um, eating between meals not allowed. Our kids would put us out of the home if we told them that they could not eat between meals. But I understand why they did this. Ten children, you know, you have to stretch things. And from what I learned from my grandparents is when you gave kids food between meals, it was for their appetite. So when they presented those ugly green peas, you guys remember those? <laughs> but they're good for you. I can tell you some things that, yeah, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> they're good for you. But we need them to eat all of what's put before them, and that's why they did. Number two, as children, are, um, as children, they are to be in bed by 8 p.m. Our bedtime at our house is at 9, <laughs> and we take our daughter's electronics. But we have to understand that we all need rest, and especially children. They're still growing. Their brains are growing. They have lots of work to do in school, memorization. Sleep is very important, so she put them to bed at 8. Number three, they are required to take medicine without complaining. I, wrote a, I read a blog and, and, some, and someone said, what kind of medicine was that that they were giving? Well, do you remember castor oil? Ha! At the first sign of any illness in my grandparents' home, we were lined up to take that one spoonful of good castor oil, thick, nasty, and we did complain, but her family couldn't complain. These days we have, you know, the syrups with the sugar and the raspberry flavor, strawberry flavor, and the kids actually want more. Not the same world. Number four, if I can get there. Subdue self-will in a child and those working together with God to save the child's soul. Subdue the self-will in a child. Most of us who have children, 
they're not all the same, right? You may have that one strong-willed, and you're like, oh, God, I need extra grace for this one. She did it right. Number five, to teach a child to pray as soon as he can speak. That's awesome. Most kids these days don't know the Our Father prayer or the 23rd Psalm. Our grandparents usually taught us this. It wasn't always the parents. Our grandparents would teach us how to pray and what to pray. So right here, I just want to acknowledge the silver-haired people. You still have a place. We need you. My husband, when I was telling him about this, he said, you do know. You do know that you're one of them now, right? <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> but we love, we need the grandparents to be in our lives as well. The Bible talks about, you know, the older women teaching the younger women how to be what we need to be. And so there's a place for everyone, amen? Number six, require all to be still during family worship. I remember that from growing up. Number seven, give them nothing that they cry for and only when asked for politely. Uh-huh. Yes. We, uh, my son, he was the firstborn, and, and I didn't know what to do, and I, had, I didn't have any family here. And so he would just kind of uh, uh, just fall out for what he wanted. I wish I knew this then, <laughs> that back then. <laughs> Number eight, to prevent lying, punish no fault, which is first confessed and repented of. So if they owned up to what they did, she let them off the hook. Number nine, never allow a sinful act to go unpunished, right? This teaches action versus consequence. If we don't teach them what's wrong, you know, that things are wrong, they can't really serve God correctly because God tells us a whole lot of things in the word, right, that we need to follow. So this is kind of helping them along in that path as well. Number 10, never punish a child twice for a single offense. I would say that she must have done it right the first time, <laughs> that she didn't have to repeat it because they got it, they got the lesson, so they're not going to, you know, repeat it. Number 11, commend and reward good behavior. She saw something good, she commended them for it. Number 12, any attempt to please, even if poorly performed, should be commended. See that little one just kind of really getting your attention and trying to impress you? They were commended for that, even if it was something under the twilight zone. Number 13, preserve property rights, even in smallest matters. She believed that even if it was someone else's pen or whatever it was, don't touch it. It's not yours. It's not your property. And she taught them to, you know, respect other people's property. Number 14, strictly observe all promises. So if we make a promise, we should be quick to keep it. Number 15, require no daughter to work before she can read well. Of course, in those days, certainly women were taught to cook, to clean, to sew, to do all these wonderful things. But she felt it was very important to teach her kids, even her girls, to read. For girls needed to have a voice, and they needed to be understood when they were heard. And then number 16, teach children to fear the rod. I'm going to leave your own theology up to you, but I promise we had the rod, and it was a teachable moment. <laughs> we're going to look at now, so of all her adversities, and to be able to come through and produce a John and a Charles Wesley, that's amazing. Two different women, two different lifestyles. We know that some women have to work outside of the home, so this is not about a message about homemakers that people stay at home. We're, we're still homemakers even if we have to work outside of the home, right? 
still have to take care of, of home and our children. Sonia Carson is the mother of famous neurosurgeon Ben Carson. Let me tell you a little bit about her and then we'll look at the insert. Dr. Benjamin Carson is a famous neurosurgeon from John Hopkins University, Baltimore, Maryland. He attributes his mother, Sonia Carson, for the reason for his success. And here's her compliment from her son. He says, I not only saw and felt the difference my mother made in my life, I am still living out that difference as a man. That work that she did carried on all throughout and still to this day, he can see the benefits of all the things that she did. We have a very wonderful job, don't we? She worked long hours and two to three jobs to keep the Carson family afloat. She trusted the Lord. Single mother, inner city uh, of Boston. She raised her children in the inner cities of Boston and Detroit. Her motto, learn to do your best and God will do the rest. She's had a third grade education, raised in various foster homes, married at 13 years old to a man 15 years her senior, whom she found out later was a bigamist, had another family. So when Ben was eight and Curtis was 10, she left Detroit and moved to Boston to live with her sister and brother-in-law there. She battled depression, anxiety, and she told God, she said, God, you're going to have to be my friend. She didn't have any friends. She said, my best friend, and you're going to have to tell me how to do things and give me wisdom. There's wisdom again because I don't know what to do. The relation, her relationship with God gave her the wisdom to put boundaries around Curtis and Ben. She made house rules, right? She restricted their television viewing to two programs per week. Oh, let's stop right there. Our TV guide, when you go up in the guide, has 5,000 channels, and I'm sure it's not literally 5,000 channels, but just to even have that 5,000 number looking at us, like why? <laughs> it just, why? But anyway, there's the difference. She restricted their time watching television, required them to go to the library each week and pick two books out. One of those books, she asked them to write a book report and hand it in to her. She took the book reports, graded them in red pen, and later they've discovered that she couldn't even read what they were giving her. She was just creating discipline in her children. It is said that Ben, after about a month of her making them go to the library, he was running home from school to read. He couldn't wait to get home to read. She told her kids, if you can read, you can do anything. Now get this. Time frame of when she's raising her kids, I'll let you think about that, we won't talk about it. But in history, for an African-American family, a lot was going on. So she was building a dream in them, amen? Against all odds. Yes. Her perseverance in their education paid off. Ben graduated from high school and later from Yale University. In 1987, Dr. Benjamin Carson became a world renowned <laughs> neurosurgeon leading a team of leading a team to remove two Siamese twins who were joined at the back of the head this was groundbreaking surgery his mother Sonia Carson let's look at her so um, 
this is not quite funny, but it is to me. If you look at your little insert, the first thing you see is hashtag TBT. <laughs> My daughter dances with Texas Ballet Theater, and we shortened the, word, the, the name to TBT. So I looked at this and said, Micah, why is this on here? <laughs> Duh. She said, Mom, it's Throwback Thursday. That's what it means. <laughs> so Ben says, remember the words, wise words of my mother. And here's what she said. Remember this as you go through life. The person who has the most to do with what happens to you is you. The person who has the most to do with what happens to you, I'm sorry, is you. You make the choices. You decide whether you're going to give up or ante up when the going gets tough. That's that fight spirit. Ultimately, it's up to you. It's, uh, it's you who decides whether you will be a success or not. You are the captain of your own ship. If you don't succeed, you only have yourself to blame. Now, this was from a, a poem that she loved to quote. Um, but can you imagine all the things that she had said against her and she still said, you're the only one to blame if you don't succeed? That is amazing. Let's look at Dr. Ben Carson. Raised by a single mother, raised in public housing, fed with food stamps, supported by welfare, kept healthy with Medicaid, educated in public schools, received eyeglasses from state agency, benefited from affirmative action for undergrad school, medical school paid for, paid for with grants from USPHS, said this, the disintegration of the family unit and the welfare state are enslaving African-Americans and ruining their futures. And Ben says, oh, really? <laughs> because he broke the barriers, because he had a praying mother. These, I promise, are amazing women. But I need to tell you today, so are you. We have a hard job. We have a thankless job sometimes. <laughs> Right? You are amazing. We just have to do things intentionally, amen? You might say, Sister Sparrow, these are the cases of where good parenting is rewarded. They were rewarded, their kids did great things. What, happened, what happens when it's not? I do acknowledge that every child is different. Sometimes when you've done it all right, you've prayed, you've cried, you've given them everything that they needed, the best education, and still it doesn't turn out right. I want to remind you that Cain and Abel had the same parents, the same environment, but very different hearts. You are not in control of their decisions. Amen? So don't beat yourself up. If you have a kid that's landed in jail, someone who's a troublesome child, if you're raising a bipolar person, or someone with a, a other uh, neurological disorder, or a child that has walked away from God, not to despair. Don't give up. Trust God continually. Put on your battle garments, prayer, and fight for your family. I would encourage you to keep communication open. If we are not their influencers, someone or something else will, so stay connected. You may have a hard case where you have a kid that doesn't want to talk to you. Find a way to connect. Find a way to keep a pulse on their lives to see what's going on and how you need to pray and what you need to do. I want to tell you that good parents are not perfect, 
And I need to say that again because we really aim to be perfect. And we just give up on ourselves sometimes when we're not. Good parents are not perfect. Don't expect your kids to be perfect, right? We're still teaching them. We're all humans going on this journey. Don't seek to be liked because most times you won't be. If you're doing it correctly, we are guides. We're guiding them through life. They're not going to always like our guidance, <laughs> right? But mother knows best. They'll, they'll pull back sometimes, but let's remember that we're not their friends. We are to cultivate, though, a loving bond with them. My daughter, I don't want to put her on the spot, but sometimes she says, can you love me a little less? <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> she says, you people are borderline Amish. <laughs> and then don't, don't tell them that they can't. Please remember, don't tell them that they can't. Let them figure out what they can and cannot do. Um, just give them the support that they need. And don't give up on them. Don't ever give up on them. And sometimes you may want to. Sometimes it'll look like it's just undone can't be done but it's worth repeating don't give up the bible is full of broken people whom god has used tremendously the bible also says in romans 5 8 but god demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners christ died for us we were in the middle of our mess he saw all of that still loved us came down was ashamed broken and beaten for us right where we were now he loved us too much to leave us right there and to enter into that relationship we have to accept that love we have to accept that relationship right but let's not give up on them and let them not and help them to not give up on themselves you don't know who you are raising you don't know do you think Susanna Wesley and Sonia Carson Billy Graham Franklin Graham do you think they know who they were raising with these two ladies, they were just raising their children. They didn't, I don't think, have had a, a mindset that I'm going to raise this great and powerful person. They were just trying to raise a dignified person in the ways of the Lord and with discipline and intentional purpose. So let's not sell them short because you don't know who you're raising. Amen? God sees them finish. We see the outward. We are looking at the ugly actions. But God sees them finish, right? Amen.